coming up on this edition of Open Source. And it's amazing how some of the stuff from like 60 and 70 years ago looks brand new because the, the design principles are so classic. But one of the primary things that the designer touched on is that there's really no new ideas. It's just a way of reinterpreting things and trying to put a fresh spin on them. Designer Tony Strickland talks design and technology next. A Tony Strickland design is highlighted by its elegant simplicity, clean layout, and pleasing color palettes. Fortune 500 companies rely on his Dallas-based studio to help them make their brand stand out. Strickland Design counts UPS, Comcast, and Major League Baseball among its portfolio of clients. Graphic designer Tony Strickland, welcome to Open Source. Uh, thank you, Tony. I'm glad to be um, glad to be a guest on the show. Looking forward to the uh, design dialogue and conversation. It is always good to talk to the creative people in the community, and I think I guess that kind of ventures into my first question for you as a designer. How would you ex explain your approach to design? How do you see the world through the lens of design? Um, you know, that's a very interesting question. I think that um, kind of a concise answer is a uh, design for me is a summation of your experiences and creativity kind of rolled into one. And um, one one thing that I've always approached with my work is design to me is a process. And I think if you're true to that process, it'll always yield um, excellent results in the end. So I've got a, a sequence of events that I like to follow when I'm working on a project. And regardless of the client, uh, those generally are, you know, I'm going to do discovery. I'm going to do my research. I'm going to learn about whatever that particular industry is, um, learn as much as I can about the client, find out what their needs are. And then once you've got all the um, objective information, so to speak, you can, begin, you can then begin the creative process and come up with a really good solution that combines your analytical work that you put in along with your creativity from your heart. And when you melt those two together, you have a... Um, um, a long-standing design solution that will stand the test of time. Now, that's interesting. What you said there really represents from a marketing point of view, and I guess that's my training, is that's a customer-focused uh, uh, relationship in the in sense of discovery that you talk about doing. Is that something that you pursued or just how did you come to that? Um, you know what? It really is customer-centric. It's um it's something that I've learned through the years. Uh, I learned early on. That's one of the, the primary differences uh, between art and design, because I do consider myself an artist as well. But the, the big difference is when you're working on art, it's the audience of one. When you're working on a um, design project, you really have to satisfy the criteria of the client. So it, I think if you're going to um, have any type of sustainability as a um, designer or a design studio, you have to be customer focused. And um, so along the years, that's just really enhanced that, that process. And um, it's led me to, you know, down that path of focusing on the customer, finding what it is that they want and trying to make sure that, that um, my voice 
my creative voice is still found within that process because that's what they kind of, kind of come to me for. And, you know, we, we arrive at that end solution that I think is kind of proven from that process. Is it, uh, is it surprising to you or are you aware that many designers never come to that conclusion? Oh, that's very surprising. I'm, I'm kind of shocked to hear that. <laughs> well, I mean, and I just saying from my point of experience is that I've worked with people and I'm, I'm not a designer, but we've created projects for people. And sometimes we get a client because the other, the previous people that they've spoken with have tried to force an idea, a concept on them and supposed to listening to what the customer wants. Yeah, that is unfortunate. And, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting because I'm constantly trying to grow as a designer. So, uh, particularly right now during this downtime and can't really get out the house. So I find myself doing, watching a lot of videos on YouTube and, uh, you know, reading a lot of articles and studying what other established designers are doing. And so I'm, I'm constantly trying to learn and grow. And I see that that's one of the things that you can't get away from. You just, the, the customer is going to come first. The client is going to come first. Some clients are more difficult than others. And, you know, you have that rare exception where you just might not be a good fit. And, um, but for me, that's, that's, I find that to be the exception more so than the rule. Uh, as a rule, I would say I'm probably batting 95% with most of my clients. Um, you would, like I say, occasionally you'll just have that one client that's really difficult to please, but um, that's an out. It's interesting too, what you said there and what you're doing with your time now, it kind of reflects on this other concept that everything is a remix. And uh, some people are kind of put off by that idea, but if you really think about it, it's really true. Um, it's, there are very few th- new things under the sun. Do, do you agree with that? You know, it's so funny that you said that. I was just watching a, um, I've got a, uh, a new project I'm working on for one of my clients that I've had for like four years now. It's a, uh, financial services company. And so they have a in-house creative team. And as one of their freelance designers, we, we have an opportunity to do a lot of work for, um, independent financial professionals and insurance professionals around the country. And so they call them producers. And so I, I was, uh, watching a show on YouTube and there's a book out there that, um, I just ordered it. I saw it at Barnes and Noble when I first got here and I didn't purchase it. But I just found it on Amazon. It's called Logo Modernism. And it's an incredible book. It's a, uh, a really big, hardcover, coffee table book. And it details the history of logo design. And it's amazing how some of the stuff from like 60 and 70 years ago looks brand new because the, the design principles are so classy. But one of the primary things that the designer touched on is that there's really no new ideas it's just a way of reinterpreting things and trying to put a fresh spin on them. And so if you can always have creative thinking, you can kind of come up with something new, but you figure so much of design is based off a circle, a square, but nobody owns that. You can't copyright that. So you have to figure out how to put your interpretation within that and pull out something new from all these tried and true um, concepts that are out there. In the introduction, I refer to you and just my observation, uh, for what it's worth, elegant simplicity, clean layout, and a pleasing color palette. Does that agree with you or no? Well, you know what? It's, 
it's it's interesting you say that. I remember when I first moved to Atlanta, and um, so at that point, I had been a designer for about six years because that was 1995. So one of the first uh, creative recruiters that I met with, um, she was like, "Oh, your work is very colorful." And, you know, I got a little offended from it because I was like, well, man, I've, I've, I've put so much thought into this work and there's a lot more uh, attributes at play than just colorful. I think the work is a lot smarter than that. So, but no, I understand what you're saying in that sense. I, I don't take that to be offensive because really what my work is, my style is very minimalist. Uh, but from that minimalism, there's a lot of thought that goes within it. And so it's based on classic Swiss design. It's based on a grid. It's based on a um, strong understanding of typography. It's based on a strong understanding of color and being able to manipulate all those elements to achieve a very modern and minimalist look, which sometimes is, is the most difficult thing to do to distill things down to their most simplistic form. But within that, you find the beauty because you get that that balance between negative space and and positive space, and so that's what I'm I'm looking for uh, with most of my design. If you could describe my aesthetic, you say it much more concisely and better than I. But that's what I meant. I I, I see that, and I, I guess I, I I'm I'm intrigued by this conversation, and that I want to get in the weeds with you a little bit when you talk about typography. Let's talk about that because it's not something you hear a lot about or I've read a lot about. What makes typography work well and what makes it uh, work not so well? What are we looking at? Well, I think that's where you can really uh, separate a, a, a good designer from a, um, a not so good designer or a highly trained designer or someone that focuses on the details. Um, like I'll go back to previously what I was saying. Typography is really based on balance, um, understanding negative and positive space, and being able to work with a grid and align elements. And so a problem that a lot of designers make is like trying to throw type against the wall, that, uh, that, or paint against the wall, I'm sorry, in the sense that they're trying to work with you know, a multitude of faces, a multitude of weights, um, and things just all over the space, all over so or all over the page, or whatever surface it is that you're working on, whatever media. So I would the analogy I would use is just like a, a a cluttered room of furniture, as opposed to what I like to do is work with one typeface, one font on a particular project. Maybe have uh, and work within different weights of that font, diff, uh, different variations, and try to have a nice variant uh, between the, the light and dark, but that, that texture is going to be created with different weights, using color strategically, but it's, it's almost like being a musician. You've got to, it's the rhythm section, you know, so you've got to keep to the notes, you've got to follow the time, but you've got spaces in there where you can improvise as a soloist, so you can bring that contrast within the work. And um, I think that's what I've been able to develop through the years, so I have a really strong sense of type, and it gives my work a specific character. And I think people are able to notice that. Um, if it's somebody that's a, a, a professional, a colleague, they may know how to articulate it a little better. But if it's just the average layperson, they don't really know what it is that they're seeing, but they understand the quality. And that's what attracts them to my work. 
there are so many fonts. There's so many typefaces out there, especially nowadays. There's so much more available. Do you do you have those things in your mind? Do, is your brain, are typefaces floating around in your brain? Or, or do you have to peruse them to decide what you want to use? How does that work for you? Well, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. So say if I'm just feeling experimental, uh, I may work with um, some really modern typefaces. I mean, I've got a million fonts at my disposal on my machine. So I'll experiment with various fonts. If I'm looking for something that's very modern, uh, I may use completely unexpected typefaces. But really, at my essence, but I, I, you know, I went to school in the 80s, so I was always inspired by Swiss design. And as a result of that, my, my, my go-to font is Helvetica. I love Helvetica. And um, if you have the, the right face of Helvetica, there's so many weights. Um, I like to use Helvetica new. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the new correct, but N-E-U-E. And within that, there's so many weights. You've got your your thick and thins, you've got your condensed, you've got your compressed. And I, I find so much variety within Helvetica that I think it's one of the most beautiful and um, practical typefaces that it is at the same time. So a bulk of, and you could probably go out here right now and find a hundred different corporate logos that are utilizing Helvetica. Uh, the New York subway system is based off of Helvetica, but at the same time, you can find so many modern uses of Helvetica where it's just like a font that was invented yesterday because it has so much variety within. Now that's interesting. Okay. You, you're known for UPS, Comcast, major league baseball. And, and, and so for our listeners, what elements, what uh, packages uh, could people look at and say, that's a Strickland design, which, which things that the UPS or, or Comcast or, or major league baseball. Well, you know what? So it's interesting you ask that question. A, a lot of my things through the years have been, um, I've kind of got a niche in internal design communication. So when I worked at UPS, um, I was a senior designer at the corporate headquarters down in Atlanta. So I was with UPS from 09 through, uh, I mean, 99 through 2004. And then when I left and went out on my own, that's when I started my own studio. Um, I've been able to procure some, you know, nice freelance projects over the years with them. And I but had a, a long-standing relationship with Comcast from one of my uh, colleagues that used to work with me at UPS. So she became a VP at Comcast, and she's actually still a VP there right now and in um, communications. And so I was able to do a, a lot of projects with them. I probably had a good five-year run with Comcast. But I would say the bulk of my work it really hasn't been seen by the public because I do so many internal communications projects. But I've done some um, annual reports that were award winners. So I did an annual report for uh, UPS that was an award-winning annual report. I did a uh, foundation, the UPS Foundation. I did the annual report for that year, one year, which is another award-winning piece. Uh, it was awarded inclusion in the uh, the Nina Paper uh, annual report kit, which is a, a very prestigious award for designers. And um, let's see, I've done, um, for Major League Baseball, I did an incredible project with uh, Major League Baseball and Boys and Girls Clubs called the Star Awards. And so that was something that was for the general public. And it was a, a, a really big system. It consisted of like a, a 24 by 36 poster, 
um, let's see, the actual certificate that the, the students were awarded. Uh, it was a custom uh, trifold pocket folder. Um, and let's see, it may have been one or two more elements that, I, that are eluding me right now, but it was about five or six elements. And so that was something that was for the public. But some of the things that I've done that were for the public, because I've also, you know, I've, I've been designing for what this year makes 30 years. So I've worked in, in so many capacities in design. So I've got a lot of experience, uh, in corporate design, internal design communications, but I also have a lot of experience working with ad agencies, uh, working with, you know, design studios. So I've done a lot of consumer work as well. Um, I did the campaign for the launch of the, uh, what would be for the real car people out there, the E90 uh, BMW 3 Series, which was, uh, was like the 06 model. And uh, I did a campaign for that. That was, um, and it was on the African-American side. And so it was in um, the National Publications. It was in Essence, Ebony. Uh, it was an amazing campaign. Then I did a, um, a national campaign for uh, Publix grocery stores, uh, a black history campaign. So Publix is a grocery store the corporate headquarters is, uh, they're based out of Tampa, but they're primarily in the South. Right? They, they, I, they may have one in Ohio, but they're all throughout the South and the Southeast. And so um, I did a, a Black History Month campaign for them that the, the work was so incredible that they actually ended up using the designs for like four to five years. Big begs another question from, from me, and that is this. We, we tend to all of us uh, that are not you and people like you, we tend to take design for granted. We, you know, we see things, but we don't realize it basically in our world, especially in the Western world, everything's design. Talk about that concept that design is everywhere. Well, you know what? It's, it's even more so now with the advent of technology and the internet. And um, so I think the word that you're looking for design is just ubiquitous um, because it's everywhere. And I mean, really, life is about design because life is about order. And so there's nothing you can do without planning it out. And, and so it's the same way with design. Um, design has to be thought out. It has to be planned out. You have to have the budget for it. You have to have the right personnel. Um, you have to have the correct vision. You know, you're trying to get from point A to point B. And, and you need a roadmap for that. And so... I think it's the same way I, you know, like right now we live in a high rise uh, in Dallas. So we're up on the 24th floor and I'm just looking around our place and everything is about design. You you can't have clutter. That's why I can't work in clutter. So our whole environment, I had to have it designed before we moved in here. So, you know, I, I uh, took a photograph of the space, measured everything up, got all the dimensions and basically designed our interior around those dimensions so we can have a very modern, uh, contemporary interior, but it wouldn't be cluttered. And so everything that you see, you just, you figure every product out here has to be designed. Everything that we touch in terms of packaging has to be designed. Um, those are just on aesthetic levels, but on a practical level, you think about the freeway system, those have to be designed, traffic lights, uh, uh, construction equipment, so design affects all phases of our life. It's, it's no way that we can get away from it. And now, like I said, with the advent of technology and everybody using, let's just take, let's just take the iPhone. I mean, what that, that's like one of the greatest pieces of design in our life. And just think about how groundbreaking it was when it came out in 07, 08. And now 
everybody has was that's because the design was so strong, the aesthetic was so strong that they keep making advances in technologies with the phone. But more or less, it's still the same basic phone. They just keep enhancing the south uh, the software, but the phone is still the same. So really, the only groundbreaking thing that has come from that is you go from the iPhone to the iPad, and then you go to the MacBook Pro. And so I'm like, you know, I have all of those devices, but they're all pretty much still the same device. They just keep enhancing the technology that's behind it and the operating systems. But the design was so classic to begin with that they haven't really had to improve upon that product design much over these last 10 years. I have a question for you, too. Speaking of that, and I want to get to this, too. I want to talk about user interface design. But first, I'm wondering for you, um, when you look at an iPhone and the iOS uh, operating system everybody uses, and then the uh, uh, iPad OS, it, it, does, it, does it bother you that they've basically taken the same user interface and used it on two dramatically different devices? Or is, it, is that a smart idea in your mind? No, no. You know what? I, what I think that does is um, it breeds familiarity. And so it makes the device simpler uh, for every, because the thing, the whole thing with technology is they're trying to make technology more accessible. So if you're able to get comfortable with that um, interface design or UX on one device, then you just go to the next device and you've got some familiarity uh, familiarity with it. And so you're already comfortable. You're not afraid to use that device. You're not intimidated. Um, you know, you can get up to speed very quickly. Because just think about it. Uh, as complex as these devices are, they don't come with any type of user manual. So the whole thing with these are is very intuitive, which, are, which is why kids take to them so quickly. You figure you got two and three-year-olds that are comfortable playing with phones, playing with an iPad, but you might have somebody that's 65 or 70 that's intimidated by the technology because it's not something that they grew up with. You know, so I, I remember when I, I got my mom to get her first iPhone and she was so scared to use it at first. Now she knows how to take pictures. She's texting with it. Uh, same thing with her, iPhone, with her iPad, um, you know, because she really wasn't comfortable with her laptop. She's got a laptop now, but she rarely touches it but she's very comfortable using her, uh, her iPad. So I think it was very smart of them to use that same interface across numerous devices. That's an excellent answer. I never, I never considered it uh, on that level. User interface design, everybody experiences it. Some people are frustrated by it from product to product. But really explain to our listeners, what is UX? What, what do we mean when we're talking about, when we're talking about that? Well, to me, quite simply, it's it's exactly what it says. It's a it's a literal interpretation, user interface. So it's how you engage with whatever product or device it is that you're using. So I'll give you a prime example of some things that have excellent user interface design and some things that don't. So the obvious level is when you're interacting with a web face. So how easy is it to navigate? Um, how intuitive is it to go around the website? Um, does it is it engaging for you? Does it make you want to stay on there? Does it make you want to click through and read things? Uh, does it want to make you continue taking in all the content? So that's one obvious level. But then you'll, I'll, I'll give you a level where it's something that people don't think about every day, but it's something that we all have to interact with. 
let's let's uh, apply it to automotive design. So cars have changed so much; they're not that analog piece of equipment that they that we used to use. They're very digital now. They're you know cars are really more about technology almost now than they are the driving experience. They, the two go hand in hand, and so one of the things that can make or break your uh, experience with a vehicle or how much you enjoy it is the user interface. So people complain about, oh man, this car is very complex. I don't know how to adjust the radio. Uh, I don't know how to use all these gauges. They're not very easy to use as opposed to you take something like the BMW iDrive, which got a lot of complaints when it first came out. So I'm, I'm showing my hand here. I'm a car guy as well. And, but you, um, and you take it now to where it's evolved to where it's very intuitive. You get right into a BMW. You use that the, the circular iDrive. You can navigate through the entire system without having any type of manual um, and figure out all the different controls on the vehicle. So that's one place where life has completely changed for the consumer and where you can see a very practical application of user interface design. Has the the BMW, and I'm, I'm familiar with that one, and I've read and experienced a lot of the frustration, have people just gotten accustomed to iDrive or has it been improved? I think it's a combination of the two. So it was, I think it was probably very clunky in the early 2000s when it came out. And even if it wasn't clunky, it was a paradigm shifter because it was so new. We were used to just pushing a button up there to change the radio station, to change the heat, and we weren't used to a central interface to operate everything within the vehicle. Now, it's pretty much any vehicle on the market, they're using something like an iDrive. And um, so the, 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 the consumer is so much more accustomed to it now that we're more accustomed to it and the technology has evolved. So I think it's a combination of those two factors that now when you get in, you just get into any car. And, you know, me and my fiance, we used to uh, take a lot of road trips and we would, you know, uh, we would have to rent cars to go on the road because she's in sales. And so every week we'd be in a different vehicle. So immediately when you get in, you have to figure out the interface on the vehicle. And some interfaces are much uh, easier to use than others. And like I said, to me, they're so different. It's, it's almost like a, a, a breaking point as to whether you would um, purchase a vehicle or not. I remember one time we had a, uh, a Focus, and the interface was just so clunky. It was so difficult to use. And I was like, oh, I hate this interface. It's such a poor design. Whereas you may get another vehicle, and it's just this really beautiful design, really intuitive. Uh, they'll have the, you know, they, everybody has the, uh, the touch screens now, like the iPad. So that just shows you how much the iPad has influenced design across multiple mediums. Great answer. I mean, you're really making me rethink uh, all these things that we kind of experience in our everyday life. And I, I, I appreciate that. The last minute, I just want to ask you this. Do you use another medium besides graphic design to express your creativity? Do you paint? Do you take photographs? What do you do? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I almost couldn't even let you get that out. I was so excited to answer that. Uh, I'm sorry about cutting you off there. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I consider myself an artist. So um, I paint. I've had a, a number of exhibits through the years. I've had a couple one-man shows. So I work with multimedia uh, in terms of my, my paintings and artwork. Um, let's see. I love taking photography. I'm more of a... Uh, an iPhone photographer, and I don't have a, a, 
expensive camera that I've invested in. But uh, I, I shoot some great photography with my phone. Um, I'm learning to do video. I'm starting to edit video. But really, my 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 greatest passion right now is my custom clothing, which is my line stripping design bespoke. So I evolved. Uh, I would say probably around like maybe around 2006, 2007. I was just starting to get really bored with design. I was kind of going through a, a midlife crisis. Because at that point, I had been a designer for, let's see, let's say 89, 99, 2000. So about 17, 18 years. And I was just starting to get kind of bored with it. And I was starting to hit kind of a glass ceiling with my career. And so I'm like, I've got to do something to revive my interest and revive my creativity. And so um, I had always been into fashion. So around 06, I um, just really started getting into suits. I started buying a lot of suits. So what I was doing was purchasing, you know, really nice high-end suits at the uh, at the outlet. So I would go to Marshalls as often as I could, try and find like a, a Ralph Lauren purple label or Cornelliani or Canali. And, um, you know, I, I would have a lot of luck. But the thing is, I would find myself spending a lot of money on getting the suit tailored. So a lot of my savings would go down the drain with the cost of tailoring. So I, uh, around the same time, I started um, following a blogger, the Tutorialist, and that's where I really learned a lot about international fashion, international style, and that's where I initially got exposed to custom clothing. And, you know, at that point, I was like in my early 40s, and I, I was like, wow, this is amazing. I've been in the fashion my whole life, but I've never experienced custom clothing and known anything about it. So uh, me and my girlfriend went to New York in 2008, and uh, I ended up, uh, I, I scheduled a fitting, uh, sight unseen, I did some research, I found a custom closer in Nolita, and uh, went down, I got my first custom shirt, did the fitting, and it was like an epiphany, because it was such an amazing experience. And that's when I found out, you know, I had been buying 38 suits, I found out I was actually 36, and, you know, I got my true measurements, and it was just amazing how it fit, the whole process of getting measured, going to a cool little boutique, having a drink, establishing this personal relationship, and then waiting on your garment to come. And the experience, so I got my first custom suit as well at the same time. And so the experience was so cool, I was like, oh, I've got to expose more people to this. I said, I know I'm not the only person that's not familiar with this. So um, I ended up establishing my line, Strickland Design Bespoke, in 2008, and uh, what I do is I specialize in handmade custom suits uh, for canvas construction. So what that means, that's really like an inside term. So when you're when you're dealing with a suit, the interior between the uh, the, the fabric and the lining is either going to be fused or canvas. And so fusing means it's sewn together. Canvas generally is going to be stitched by hand. And so a lot of people will use a, uh, a cheaper material. That's what you're going to find with your off-the-rack clothing. And, uh, but with your handmade custom clothing, they use Italian canvas. And that canvas, as the as wearer wears that garment through the years, the garment really molds your physique. And so the, the fit is just enhanced the older that the jacket or the suit uh, becomes. And uh, that is my true passion right now. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just designed my new website. Um, you've got to check it out. Share the web address for the audience. The web address is 
Strickland Design Bespoke. I know it's a long name, but that's my brand. And so I'll spell it out for you guys. So it's uh, www.strickland.bespoke. Strickland Design Bespoke. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful site. It's a new, fully responsive WordPress site. Um, and so one of the things that I was doing where I've even evolved with that. So I was working with a lot of traditional suiting fabrics and I would say up until about 2016, then in 16, I got to the point where I said, you know what? I've been a designer and an artist for so long. I said, I've, I've got to do something different to separate myself from the masses. I said, so instead of, um, kind of chasing the fashion world, I said, I'm going to let my art inform my fashion and just start doing something that's more creative and unexpected. And so I started working with prints at that time. So taking an unexpected fabric that you would never see, expect to see in a suiting application and using that for, say, for instance, like a, a, a floral denim print. And that's, you know, you would never expect to see that in a men's suit. But then you do it in such an elegant and classy cut, two-button, pink lapel, uh, great uh, uh, rope shoulder details, functional buttonholes on the jacket, um, fancy lining, genuine horn buttons, amazing cut on the pants, two-inch cuff, and it, it becomes a work of art, and it's wearable art. And um, so I picked up a, a great following for that, and um, people love my custom clothes. Now, you dropped something there, and I, and I, I want to wrap, but I got to touch on this. You said WordPress. Are you are you customizing WordPress, or how, how are you handling that? Yes, yes, absolutely. So, uh I've, you know, I've been working with WordPress for about four years now, but design is so, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? There's so many areas of specialization right now, and it's kind of hard to be great in every area. So what I've done is I was focusing on um, user interface and front-end design with WordPress, and I would work with a developer or developers to actually do the coding. But with this coronavirus in place and you know, I got laid off from a really good design position. So I said, well, what I would like to do is um, I'm going to use this time to be creative, to keep my spirit up, stay creative, and give myself some challenges. So I taught myself how to build uh, a WordPress site from start to finish in the last two weeks. And I just built my new Brickman Design Bespoke site, launched the site, has video integrated into it. I've got the gallery. I wrote the entire site. Uh, a lot of photography on there is my own photography. And then I've got some photography mixed in with photographers that I've worked with through the years. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a completely responsive. It's beautiful on all devices. So it looks great on a desktop, uh, looks great on a, a tablet, and it looks great in the mobile version. Antonio Strickland, man, you, you are, a, are a TED Talk uh, in waiting. You really are. And I really appreciate you uh, spending time with us on open source designer and man for all seasons, Antonio Strickland. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you very much, Tony. I appreciate it. The pleasure was all mine. I truly enjoyed it. And uh, I hope your listeners uh, were able to get a little bit of inspiration today or, you know, maybe uh, had an opportunity to learn about something that they hadn't thought about before. Well, you told us a lot of things that we didn't already know, and we appreciate it. And that's all for this time on Open Source. I'm Tony Motley. We'll see you next time. Thank you.
Open Source is a co-production of Duet Digital Media and McLaughlin Media.